0: Genesis chapter 16 Hagar and Ishmael Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar so she said to Abram the Lord has kept me from having children go sleep with my slave perhaps I can build a family through her Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan for ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Agar, and gave her to, his hu- to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai ill-treated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him and he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called lahoi Roy, It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael.
1: Thanks, Anna. Do keep your Bibles open as we uh, think about this passage this evening. And we're going to pray now and ask for God's help to understand it. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of your word. Would you please speak to each one of us tonight through it by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. I want to start with a question. And uh, I, I wonder if you are one of those people... One of those people that find it hard to wait. Do you find it hard waiting for stuff? Um, I can think of one particular incident when I remember finding it really hard to wait. Uh, I was probably about seven or or, or eight. And for several weeks, I'd been saving up these coupons with my cereal packets, my ricicles, to get my ricicles digital watch. There it is in all its glory. This isn't actually mine. It's probably worth loads now. Anyway, they don't, they don't produce rice calls anymore. I think it's sugar content or something, a bit sad. Anyway, I was so desperate to get this watch. And, and each time I got this new packet, you cut out the coupon on the back, put it somewhere safe. And then eventually you had like 10 million coupons or whatever it was, enough to send off for the watch. So you put it all in a little envelope with the little thing on that you send it to. And it says, please allow 28 days for delivery. It's like, oh. 28 days, longest 28 days of my life possibly, and um, and I think just think how much that wasn't that long ago. I'm not that old, um, but think how much we've we've changed. 28 days sounds just absolutely appalling to us now to expect something to be delivered. Now you can order saying on your phone it's with you the next day or or the very same day. I think actually we're a culture that find it increasingly hard to wait. I don't know if you find it hard to wait. I think we're, we're, we're a have-it-now generation, aren't we? But there, there are more serious things than bicycle watches that, that we might be waiting for. I wonder if you're in a season of waiting right now. I wonder if you're waiting for exams or perhaps for exam results. I wonder if you're ra- waiting for a relationship, perhaps a possible husband or wife or a really close friend. Perhaps you're waiting for a job Maybe your first job, or maybe a new job, or maybe you're out of work at the the moment and you're waiting. Or perhaps you're waiting for a diagnosis about your health. You're seeing doctors and you're waiting to hear back. You see, all of us go through those times, those seasons of waiting, don't we? And it can be really easy to doubt God's timing when we're waiting, when we're in those seasons. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's very easy to feel like God's timing seems off. Why isn't God doing something at the moment? It, it seems so obvious that he should be doing something. and well, I just don't understand why he isn't doing something right now. And I think it can be at the root of a lot of our discouragement. And that's why we find it hard to wait. Now, let's get to Genesis. Thinking about last time we were looking, we were looking at chapter 15... And you get Abraham, and God makes these two amazing promises to Abraham. He says, "I 'm going to give you an heir, you 're going to have a biological children, and, and I 'm going to give you that, but I 'm also going to give you a land. I 'm going to give you an offspring and a land, the two things that Abraham wanted. And God, we don 't have time to go through it all now, but God promises this through this incredible covenant where Abraham believes God. God promises to be faithful to him. And that's what we've seen. God made these, these promises to Abraham about offspring. And as we come to, to chapter sixteen, it helps us to think firstly why waiting is so hard. We've got the, the little sheets you can follow along. Gotta be thinking about why is waiting so hard? Why do we find it so hard to wait? What are the consequences of what happened when we don't wait? And third of all, how can we wait? How can we trust God's timing? So firstly then, why is waiting so hard? We'll look at verse one in chapter 16. We're going to spend quite a lot of time on these first few verses because excuse the pun, but they are pregnant with meaning. There's a lot going on here and it's worthwhile spending a bit of time seeing what's happening. So verse one. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. Let's stop there. So, chapter 15, God has made this promise that Abraham is going to have a child, but it hasn't happened yet. His wife has still not given him a child. They are still waiting for God's promise to come true. And think a bit about the situation they were in and why that was hard, waiting in that time. You see, this is an incredible promise. By this time, Abraham and Sarah are far beyond childbearing age. And this is an incredible promise. They are waiting. They're in that kind of situation between God making the promise and waiting for it to be fulfilled. But not only is the situation they're in hard, but actually if we dig a bit deeper, we see what's going on. And why, as we read through the rest of the chapter, why things start to go wrong. We've got to get the first bit right. You see, waiting can be hard if we get this first thing wrong. If we focus on the blessing and not on the blesser, okay? Waiting can be really hard if we focus on the blessing or on the gift and not on the blesser, not on the one who gives. And that is what's happening there. And that's why I think so many of us find it hard to wait because we've got our eyes focused on the things that God's given to us and not on God himself. You see, we read back in in chapter 15 that God is to be the greatest thing in someone's life. God is to be the greatest treasure. If you flip back over the page to chapter 15, verse 1, God says to Abraham, Don't be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. God himself is the greatest treasure in Abraham and Sarai's life. But at that moment, after all this waiting and their circumstances, their eyes are shifting off of the giver. And onto this gift that's been promised. Which is why there's, there's no talk of God except in a negative sense. We'll see that in a moment. You see this desire that they had for a child. For this promise to be fulfilled. Was actually pushing God out of the picture. That's where their focus was. And actually we're not so different. Because when we're in those seasons of waiting. Waiting they often expose what our hearts are really like, actually what we are really building our life upon. And if it's in the things that God has given us, relationships, jobs, things like that, friends, family, and those things don't seem to be working out how we want them to, then we see what our hearts are like and the consequences aren't good. So we see this, firstly, this this wrong focus, not on God, but on what God can give us. And this leads, this wrong focus, leads to wrong conclusions. We're focused on the wrong things. We start to get a wrong idea about what's happening. We start to draw false conclusions. And that's what's happening in verse 2. Sarai says to Abraham, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. So what is it Sarai saying here? The Lord has kept me from having children. Sarah is describing the fact that it feels like God is actively against her; that God doesn't want her to have this good thing. And think about how Sarah would have felt in this culture, in Abraham's day. If you weren't able to have a child, then some people would have said that that means you're you're cursed by God. We actually read the rest of the Bible and see that quite the opposite is true. God has a lot of positive stuff to say about those who are childless. But that's for another time. But we see in this that Sarah is pointing the finger at God and blaming Him for the fact that she doesn't have a child. Now I don't think she's the only one who experiences that when we're in that waiting period and it feels like we we don't know what's what's happening or what. God is doing, we don't understand His timing. It's actually really natural for us to look for answers. Why are these things happening? What what is God doing? I don't understand. And the danger is we can then come to false conclusions about what God is doing from our limited viewpoint. We don't see everything like God does. And when we can't make sense of God's timing, we see what happens. We can't always see what god is doing but firstly from this passage we need to be aware that waiting is hard whether it's the situation that we're in like they were in that makes waiting hard or the fact that we're focused on something not on god and that makes waiting hard secondly then what happens when we don't wait what happens when we don't wait Well, if we thought about the fact that if our focus is wrong, then that can lead us to to wrong conclusions, that we we think about God in a a wrong way. Well, then, as we see in this passage, that can lead us actually into wrong actions. A wrong focus, wrong conclusions, and then to wrong actions. And this is what happens when we don't wait. Look at the second bit of verse 2. Sarai says to Abraham, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. You see, one of the things that can happen when we don't wait, when we're not trusting God's timing, is that it's really easy and really tempting to try to do God's work for him. And that's one of the big things that we see going on in this passage. But look at this bit. In verse 2, Sarai says, perhaps I can build a family through her. Do you recognize that language? I can build a family through her? We've seen it a few weeks ago when Daniel was preaching to us from Genesis 12. Flip on back to, to Genesis 12 and have a look. These are, these are similar words, but you'll notice there's a very big difference. What does God say to Abraham? Abraham he says, I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. But what is Sarai saying instead? She is saying, perhaps I can build a family. Forget all this stuff about God making a nation through through us. No, I think we've given God enough time. Time has run out on his promise. It's now time for us to do his work for him. Perhaps I can build a family But you see, this isn't God's plan. God's plan in chapter 12 is to make that family into a great nation, to give them offspring. Not just so they would be a great nation in themselves, but so that God's purpose for the whole world would come about. That through that nation, someone would come to earth who would bless the nations, who would bring people from all different nations around the world to know God. Through that nation, Jesus Christ would come. But that's a completely foreign thought to where Sarai and Abraham are in Genesis 16. They're not thinking about this plan to bless the nations. They're thinking about making a family for themselves, making a name for themselves. That's not a bad thing, wanting, wanting to have a family. But compared to what God has got planned for this family, this is far too small. This is far too limiting to what God's purposes are. Now, I don't know what you make of this idea of um, Sarah saying, you can have my slave and have a child with her uh, and marry her and then we can raise that child. That sounds uh, very strange to modern ears. Perhaps it's the kind of thing that we might expect to see on something like Jeremy, Kyle Oh, yes, my my wife gave me her slave and then we had a baby and, well, now we're arguing a bit, you know. That sounds really bizarre, doesn't it? Very strange to our modern ears. But actually, in their day, that wasn't an uncommon practice. Other people who would have heard about that, well, they wouldn't have batted an eyelid, unlike us when we read this. This was a common practice. But whether or not it was a common practice is kind of irrelevant. The real question is, is this what God wants for them? Is it about, you've got to be doing my work for me? Time has run out on God. Does God's promise rely on them doing all the work or trying to figure out what's in God's mind and then be doing that? It's a little bit like asking God to bless our efforts and kind of thinking, right, I'm going to do what I want with my life and I'll just ask God to say that that's okay. You know, get a pat on the back. It's like one of, those, uh, one of those phrases that people think exists in the Bible but doesn't. God helps those who help themselves, which is, which, is a, which is a terrible slogan, really. Basically saying that you have to do it all and God will kind of pat you on the back. Is that a correct picture of God, though? Of course not. You see, when we are waiting for stuff, when we are waiting for things to happen in our life, and when we are not willing to wait... We're tempted to try and do God's work for him. Asking God to bless our efforts. And this actually comes down to trying to make a name for ourselves as opposed to seeing God's name getting all the glory. This is about what we can achieve ourselves, not about what God is doing. And I think there's a few ways we can we can think about how we might be able to challenge this way of, of living. I think one of the important ways actually is consulting God in the process of making decisions. Before we plan to do something, before we decide what we're going to be doing, uh, what we're going to be studying, where we might be working, the kind of people that we're going to be spending time with, actually we consult God. We pray about those things. We don't just do what we want and ask for God to bless our efforts. But we consult God and other Christians and think, what is the right thing to do? How does this fit in with God's plan to bless the nations? So that's one thing that happens when we don't wait. We try to do God's work for him. But secondly and catastrophically, we see that relationships really suffer. When we don't wait for God, relationships suffer. Have a look at verses 4 to 6. So Abraham slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Okay, right, first bit of relational turmoil between the slave and her mistress. This going on there. Verse 5, then Sarai said to Abraham, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. Okay, right there, and their marriage is in trouble. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. How does Abraham respond? Where well, he says, well, your slave's in your hands, well, you know, this is your problem, not mine. We see a breakdown in relationship. And actually, this isn't the first time we've seen this in the book of Genesis, is it? This whole conversation is eerily reminiscent of Genesis chapter 3 with the breakdown of human relationship and rebellion against God when Adam and Eve choose to believe a lie about God and the problems that suffer in their relationship because of that. Eve believes a lie about God. Just like Sarai believes that God won't give her a child. She's made a judgment about what God is like based on the fact that he doesn't seem to be acting in the time that she thinks he should. But also we see that Adam in Genesis 3 doesn't question Eve. He's all too happy to take the fruit uh, uh, without questioning what's going on. And in the same way, Abraham doesn't really question his wife either. He's just quite happy to go along with what she's saying. We see this breakdown in the marriage relationship built on believing a lie about what God is like, in this case that you can't trust God's timing, and in the fact they're not questioning their motives about why they are doing something. This breakdown in relationship in the marriage, but also breakdown elsewhere between Sarai and her servant. So Hagar runs away as a result of Sarai ill-treating her. So she flees from her in the end of verse 6. That's the sad truth of what happens when we don't wait. All too often there's relationship breakdown, when we're not doing doing things God's way. And I'm sure many of us, in fact I know that many of us know the pain in relationships that are caused by ignoring God's plan and trying to make it not about God and about his will for our relationships, but about us putting ourselves at the centre. You see, waiting is hard, and all sorts of things happen when we don't wait. We try and do God's work for him, and relationships suffer. But there is really good news. There is really good news. And it's because we see in this passage how we can trust God's timing. We can trust God's timing in three ways. We can trust God's timing, firstly, because he's always in control. Secondly, because he knows what we're going through. And thirdly, by changing our focus. Now, let me explain what I mean. We can trust God's timing, firstly, because he's always in control. Look at verse 7 and 8. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? He's basically saying, what are you doing here? God appears to Hagar as as the angel of this Lord, this kind of mysterious character who pops up in the Old Testament. God appears to Hagar. But not only does he appear to her in this terrible situation where she's run away from her mistress, but God shows that he is in control, even in the fact that, that Abraham and Sarah have made a complete mess of this. Verse 9 and 10, we see that God is bringing good out of bad. Look at this. Then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress, turn around, go back to where you came from, and submit to her. Now, how is she going to do that? The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Do you see what God is doing here? He is bringing out blessing from human mess, from all the messed up relationship that we are seeing in the first part of chapter 16. God is bringing good out of it. You see, God is the God of turnarounds. We see that. Paul picks this up in Romans chapter 8 famous verse he says this in verse 28 he says we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose God is the God of turnarounds and he is always in control he isn't going to let the disobedience or the mess in human relationships change what his plan is for humanity for through Abraham's line to bring blessing to the world God is always in control. That's the first reason why we can trust his timing. Second reason why we can trust God's timing is that he actually knows what we are going through when we are in those seasons of waiting. Firstly, we see then that God hears us when we are in those times. Verse 11, the angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. God hears her misery. And as we see there, Ishmael, the name, means God hears. God isn't deaf to what is going on when we are in those waiting seasons, when we are finding it hard to trust God's timing. He hears us. And not only does he hear us, but he sees us too. Verse 13. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. Now think a bit about Who Hagar was. She wasn't one of the people who had been promised anything. She was a slave in Abraham and Sarai's home. But God hears her and God sees her. This Egyptian slave, this seeming, this nobody. God hears and sees her in what she is going through. We can trust God because He is always in control and we can trust God because He knows what we are going through. He's not blind to it. He's not deaf to it. He hears and sees. And the last thing, the big thing, if we really want to see change, if we really want to be people who can wait, who can trust God's timing, then the big thing we need to do is change our focus. Look what happens in verse 13. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. This is incredible. Actually, nowhere else in the New Test, uh, the Old Testament do we see someone naming God, let alone an Egyptian slave. But if we want to trust God's timing, we need to change our focus. Change our focus off of the, the things that we are experiencing, even if there's really bad stuff happening in our life, really bad situations, difficult things, maybe caused by our own mess or by others. Or if we're waiting for things and we don't know what the outcome is going to be, we can change our focus to look at the one who sees us. We take our eyes off the blessings, those things, and the situation that we are in, and fix our eyes on the one who sees us. And this is how Hagar was able to go back. In verse 9 it says... Um, go back to your mistress and submit to her. What, what? Well, she's just run away. How is she going to do that? It's because she's taken her eyes off of that really bad situation where she's being ill-treated, she's being badly treated, and she's fixing her eyes on the one who sees her. That's how she can go back. That's how she can survive in that kind of situation, as bad as it is, by looking to the one who sees her. Because Hagar had seen God, she was able to trust him. She was able to trust his timing. Well, I wonder if you're new here tonight and you're thinking, how do we see God? Do, do Do we expect to actually physically see him? Well, yes, one day we will see him face to face. That is the promise of the Bible. But actually, we have something that Abraham and Sarai and Hagar didn't have. We have the full revelation of God in Jesus Christ for us here in our Bibles, each and every one of us. We see in Jesus the fullest expression of what God is like. We see in Jesus God. If you are finding it hard to wait, you've got to change your focus like Sarah did. You've got to see the one who sees you. You've got to see what he has done for you. You've got to see the lengths that he went to the cross for you, bleeding for you, rising again for you. You've got to see that. You've got to look at what Jesus has done. You've got to burn it into your, your retinas, into your hearts. See what Jesus has done until everything else, your situation, the things you are waiting for until all of that seems so much smaller and dimmer and less important because you are looking to Jesus, then you will be able to wait. Then you'll be able to go back into those situations where waiting around that situation seems impossible, but you look to the one, you fix your eyes on the one who sees you and has done so much for you. And finally, we can do this because actually... But think about how Jesus waits for us. Jesus waits for us so patiently. in all the mess we make in life in in those times when we we think that that he isn't important or we ignore him or, or we sin or whatever it is. Jesus is still there waiting for us patiently. And because by faith in him we are united to him, we can experience that same kind of patience too. Patience in all kinds of situations, waiting and trusting him. We have such great reasons to trust God's timing. I'm just going to finish with one that Paul gives us in Romans chapter 5. This is why we can trust God's timing. He is in control and he is doing it all. Romans 5, 6. Paul says, you see... At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's how we can trust God's timing. Because while we were still powerless, just at the right time, Christ died for us, for you, for me. Let's pray now and ask God to help us to trust Him and to wait. Lord, we thank you for Genesis 16. We thank you that it's honest about the mess that humans make, coming off a rather spectacular chapter 15 with all the spiritual highs there. Lord, we acknowledge to ourselves and to you that we find waiting hard. I'm sure many of us find waiting hard. And Lord, perhaps we're all too aware of the consequences of not waiting, of trying to do things in our own strength, in trying to do your work for you. Lord, help us to trust your timing. Help us to fix our eyes on you like Hagar did, to see the one who sees us. Then we can face whatever situation. We can wait. Lord, help us to wait. Strengthen us by your spirit, we pray. Amen.